The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to have you here today. I want to tell you all uh, that I love you. I just felt like I wanted to say that today. That I love this church. I love every one of you. It is an honor to be uh, your pastor, and I'm glad, glad that you come and, and worship here on a weekly basis And so I'm encouraged uh, by that and just thankful that you are part of this fellowship as God does what he wants to do um, with this this local body of believers. I also want to say, um, you like my new shirt. Yeah. Like, I am a a black, gray, white, blue guy. Just Shay bought this for me. Could y'all guess that? Like, he bought this, and so thank you to him. Uh, he's traveling this weekend, but uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, I got me a new shirt. New shirt day is always fun because you feel like, hey, man, I'm, I'm new. <laughs> and so it's fun to, to put it on unless it's plaid, and I, I guess I like this shirt. I'm still trying to figure it out. Hopefully, Shay doesn't watch this sermon, right? <laughs> so anyway, it's good to, good to be with you guys uh, today as we, we continue to learn about this whole idea of... Um, the devil coming and being a thief that comes, the Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so having that full life is all about walking life, uh, walking out our lives in this place of freedom. And by that, man, it just, you know, it, it's, it's not determined, our freedom is not determined by what's going on in our lives at any given time. It's not, it's not determined by our success uh, or whether we're going through a very difficult and struggle in our lives. It's, it's just determined by what's going on inside of us. And so we can have this incredible freedom that is, that is happening inside of us. And I think that's the, the full life that Jesus is describing when he talks about um, his purpose is to help us to have this, this fullness, is be released in this freedom where our sin is not holding us in bondage and captivity, but we're just, man, we're, we're navigating through life in the way that God has, has set up and de- designed for us specifically and uniquely to travel down a certain road and, and do a certain job, a certain uh, career that you have, and he just wants you to have freedom in that. Um, the family that you raise, he wants you to have freedom in that. The place where you go to school, he wants you to have freedom in that. So wherever you're at, the Lord wants you to have this incredible freedom. Well, it's, it's quite common for us from time to time that we go through experiences to, to hear people say, or you may have said it yourself, and you uh, stumble a little bit, or you do something that you wish you wouldn't have done. You may say something like, well, the devil made me do it. Like, the devil made me do that. Or on the flip of that, sometimes people will blame God for the... Uh, position they're in. So their own behavior, they will blame God. Well, God made me this way. It's so often, it's common for people to say, the devil made me do it, or, or God, you know, this is God's fault, why this happened, or why I am here in this particular situation, in this place and time. So the question is, should we, should we make or draw those conclusions? Is that true? Does, is, is God in his sovereignty responsible for where we're at? Or does the devil make us do certain things as he tries to uh, still kill and destroy from us? Well, there's no doubt that we face an enemy. There, there's no doubt there's a spiritual enemy out there lurking. Um, the book of Ephesians tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and, and, and wickedness and 
in heavenly places. Like it's, it's beyond what we can see with our physical eyes. And so it is a spiritual uh, realm that influences all that is happening in the physical realm in which we can see. Well, James, um, as we, we, we think of that and, and talk about, okay, there's this spiritual realm out there. The Bible also teaches us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So certainly the Bible has an explanation for the, the wickedness that is in the world, but it also has a way in which we can draw power and victory over that, that um, force that is working against us and live this full, free, abundant life that Jesus talks about is all based upon the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, if you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, then that, that statement is not true because he is not in you. Every man um, that is going to be right with God and be able to live this free, abundant life that Jesus talks about must be in Christ. It's not that they are religious. It's not that they go to this church or that church. They're covered. They're in Christ. And apart from being in Christ and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then you cannot claim this truth that greater that he is that is in you, in me, than he that is in the world. And so that's very, very important is that we face this force. And so we, can he make us do things? Can the devil make us do any one particular thing? Well, James teaches us in uh, chapter one, verse 13. James, again, is, is the uh, brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. They share the same mother, but obviously with Jesus um, experiencing a virgin birth, they do not have the same father. And so it says in verse 13, James tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away um, and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so this passage teaches us the cycle of sin. Now, I think it's important for us to say, okay, what, what is sin? Because it's easy for us to, to come to a place in, in our thinking theologically about sin, that sin are the social ills that we are to avoid, the things that are not socially acceptable. And so we come up with a certain type of a, a list and say, well, that, these are sins and we should avoid them. But that's not, that's not true about sin. Sin comes from the Greek word harmatia, and it means falling short. And so it means missing the target. Um, the book of James also tells us that to him who knoweth to do good and, don't, and doeth it not... To him, that is sin. So we can even take good things, and if, if we're not doing them, and we know that we should be doing them, then it's sin. So we don't have to be doing this evil thing in order to commit a sin. To, I think a, a good theological definition for sin is ignoring the voice of God. Anytime God is calling us to do something, and we turn a deaf ear to that, and we don't listen to what he's do, asking us to do and follow through with it, we're sinning. So for uh, instance, one thing could be that you're 
in a relationship that God doesn't want you in, and you're dating someone who is obviously going to lead you away from Christ, and the Lord tells you, hey, you need to get out of that relationship. And so that would be something that we might view in, in the negative and say that's something that, that God is speaking to us negatively and he's calling us out of, and away from that. And if we ignore what he's telling us to do because of our fear of being alone, then we are sinning. The, the flip might be that the Lord may say, hey, I want you to start a ministry or go to this place for a short-term mission trip and I'm calling you to do that. And that is something good. And if you don't do that, and you don't listen to what the Lord is asking you to do, then guess what? It is sin. And so as God asks us to do things, they don't always have to be in the negative. They can sometimes be in the positive that we just simply don't want to do it, and we don't want to uh, inconvenience ourselves and listen to the voice of God. And so we, we think in terms of, well, I don't want to do this. This doesn't fit in with my schedule. And guess what's happening? We're drawn away by our evil desire. And so sin, instead of living the full life because we don't know what's on the other side of that experience, we cannot, we cannot tell what God is going to do for us in the midst of taking us through this difficult thing he's asking us to listen to him about. And so in, if, we, if we trust the Lord and don't lean on our own understanding, then we end up discovering on the other side what God is, where God is trying to take us. If we ignore him, then what happens is sin is conceived in our hearts. And I think it's fascinating the terminology that James uses as he describes this cycle of sin. And, and he says that uh, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. So that's what I want to do. I'm tempted by that and I'm dragged away and enticed by it. So the devil uses that evil desire that is in me, and what makes it evil is that I'm ignoring what God wants to do. Remember Jesus said in John chapter uh, 10, I believe, he said, my sheep hear my voice, and what do they do? They follow me. Your evil desire will cause you to want to ignore your shepherd. The, the, the sin nature that you have in your life will cause you to turn a deaf ear to the good shepherd who's trying to lead you down the path of freedom to the abundant life. And so when you are enticed by that, and the devil will use that kind of like a carrot on a stick, when he does that, then after the desire has conceived, so now it goes, it's been conceived on the inside, it gives birth. So, so there is a point in time where it's in the point of it's not there, then there is the point that it is conceived in your heart. And James was using this idea of a, a, of a child, how it comes into the world. He says, there comes a point that the desire after it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so then all of a sudden, the will, it goes from something I desire to not listening to God. And so when I no longer listen to God and I take that desire that I know that the Lord is telling me not to engage in or I'm ignoring what the Lord is asking me to do. The Lord may be asking you to be involved in something. The Lord may be asking you to um, uh, disciple someone or uh, go through a, some sort of process of discipleship. The Lord may ask you to be going deeper into uh, your abide time with him. And so as that, the Lord asks you to do that, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin once you ignore God. 
Then he goes on and he says, and sin when it is full grown. I think this is a fascinating, I've never seen this. I, I've read the book of James, I don't even know how many times. But sin has a, has a development period. It is conceived like a baby and it starts as an infant, but it grows to full adulthood. And so there is a period that the sin conceives it, 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 it and then it takes on its own form and it is birthed and then it starts to grow. And as it grows, it, it eventually has kids. And the kids that it has, it says, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. And that's kind of crazy. He's using the term life, birth, death. And so it gives birth to death. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean I'm going to die if I sin? It means I think that you are going to die much like what Jesus said or the, the Lord told us in Genesis when Adam and Eve, what did they do? They ignored the voice of God. Therefore, we see when he says, don't, don't take your will and use it on this. Use it on all this freedom that I've laid out here for you. And so they ignored the voice of God. And when that happened, the sentence came that death now was going to happen to each one of them. They were going to experience death. But they didn't die right then. They did spiritually. They had enjoyed this incredibly intimate fellowship where the, the scripture even says that God would come and walk with them on a daily basis. And so they were in a place of intimacy and freedom and spiritual death took place immediately. The first animal was, uh, ex the, the first thing to experience death physically was an animal as God um, sacrificed an animal. And what did he do? He made a covering for them of animal skins that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do when he came and he would cover our sins spiritually. And so he, he covers them. So an animal had to die, but they died spiritually in their intimacy with um, walking with God. And so there is a spiritual death whenever we engage in sin and it becomes full grown, then that it gives birth to death once it becomes a fully mature adult sin. And I say, well, what does that mean? I don't know. It just means that it's full grown. Okay, it means that it's there. Like it is, it has run its course. And then it causes separation between us and God. What does that separation look like? I think it looks like the, a hard heart. It's the hardness and the callousness of heart. And so every time I sin and that sin is conceived and it goes through its life cycle and it becomes an adult sin and then it gives birth to death, my heart gets harder and it's easier and easier for me to turn a deaf ear to the Lord. And so I can, I can come to a place where I don't even hear God anymore. And my heart has become calloused, and I'm ignoring what God is asking me to do. And that is why it's so important when you hear the voice of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is prompting you on the inside. He's nudging you. When I talk about and use these terms, hear the Lord, I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about a compelling, a wooing, a drawing of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you unto himself, and you ignore that, then it, it, it's, it's sin. And so it becomes easier and easier and easier to ignore it to the point that you don't even know when God is talking because um, you have ignored God so much that you are not even sensitive and tender to his voice any longer. And that's what James is describing here is that sin has that lifestyle and the devil will use that um, to drag me away from God and entice me. And when it, it gives birth to sin and is full grown, it always leads to death and separation from God. But guess what else happens? 
it leads to separation from people. So we see the cycle of sin is so uh, vitally important for us to understand. There are numerous stories in the Bible that illustrate this truth. We looked at one last week. Well, interestingly enough, um, the one we look at today is about the first child ever born to Adam and Eve. And we see the cycle that James is describing in the New Testament that Jesus taught us how to avoid and that he wants us to have an abundant life. We see it all the way back to the beginning of biblical history, written thousands of years before the time of Christ even shows up on the planet. We see the cycle of sin taking place in their son's life named Cain. Jude says to us in Jude chapter 1 verse 11, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. So that tells me, man, we don't want to take that way. You don't want to walk down the road of Cain because it is a place where there is just brokenness, death, and separation. So his story is found in Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to give you some application that hopefully you understand. Hey, man, this is what's going on in my life that that, that the, the enemy is trying to draw me away from God. He's trying to draw me away from people, and we will see this just played out so plainly and so applicable for us in our daily lives as we see what happens to Cain. It says in verse one of chapter four of Genesis, if you have your Bibles, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said to, an, or hold on there. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Now, can you imagine the shock and awe on their face? Like, birth is amazing. I've been in the, uh, a birthing center with Abby, and she's given birth to five children, and every time, it is just like, this is crazy, man. As that baby comes into the world, and everybody is like in, in, like just in awe, and they're like enjoying the experience. Okay, this has never happened before. First time. Like, these humans, they've probably seen it happen in the animal kingdom, and they like, there's, there's nobody out there like to, I don't know if Adam caught the, I don't know how all that worked out, but I guarantee you it was blowing their mind. Like, like they were like blown away because it will still blow your mind when it happens to you today. And so this is the first human um, that is ever born. And so uh, she says, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. And then she says later, uh, she gave birth, where was I at? I think I need new contacts. <laughs> no, I know I need new contacts. But uh, so anyway, let me find it here. All right. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. I think that in the course of time is very important. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. I mean, there's something very significant and spiritual going on because we know that scripturally, the Bible teaches us that God shows no favoritism to man. He is equal in all of our treatment. But when he looks at the offering, he sees Cain's offering and he does, not see, he does not look upon it favorably. When he sees Abel's offering, he does look upon it favorably. And so he looked upon uh, with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And his face was 
downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And so God is having this conversation uh, with Cain. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Listen, if you don't walk out of here taking away anything else that I say, get that one right there. Sin is crouching at the door. And we get the imagery, man, it's ready to jump on us. And so sin is crouching at the door. And he says, uh, it desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Sin has been conceived. It's crouching at the door. It is now about to give birth. He says, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what you have done, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Man, I'm like, right there, like you could take what we studied just a few moments ago about James and say this is the cycle of sin. We don't know exactly how much time elapsed between when this event happened, but I, I tend to believe it was probably a considerable amount of time for sin to become full grown. It was conceived, it was birthed, he was stewing on it, it drove him crazy, and finally he took his brother out into the field, and we have the first murder in the Bible, and just as the book of James tells us that when sin is conceived and is full grown, it always leads in death. In this case, we see both spiritual death and physical death. Spiritual death and his relationship with God. God kept talking to him. God kept asking him, what is going on? You, why are you angry? You know that if you do what is right, you, you will be accepted as well. This is not about, I love your brother and I don't love you. This is about you, bro. This is about you. That's what God is telling Cain. You are not listening to what I'm saying to you. Why are you angry? Sin is crouching at the door, Cain. You gotta master it. And Cain turned a deaf ear and sin just kept growing and it kept getting giving birth, and it kept having kids until ultimately it led him out into the wilderness, the field with his brother, and he murdered his brother. And now he finds himself in such a hard, desperate place that he's roaming the earth as a wanderer and not experiencing the full life that Jesus had talked about in John chapter 10. So we see the cycle. Now, okay, there it is. What do we take away from it? Let me give you um, three really quick things. If our worship is not authentic, we are being ripped off. Like if you, if you don't worship the Lord with your heart, you're being ripped off by the enemy and you're in a place of bondage. If, if, if our heart is not in our worship, if our heart is not in it, God will not accept it. He just won't. Now, so does that mean that if your heart wasn't in the worship this morning and, and you didn't put your heart into the worship that God 
wouldn't accept what you sang about? Yes, that's exactly what it means. Brent tries to remind us of that all the time, that when we come into this place and we sing, it is an expression of our worship. It is an expression of our heart. It is an expression of our life. And if we are not engaging God with our hearts, then God's not accepting the worship. But it's more than that because worship is not singing. Worship is a celebration, or singing is a, is a celebration of worship. It is not worship. Worship is when I take my life and I, off, I offer it as a sacrificial offering to Christ. And so that is what worship is. I worship the Lord with my life and I constantly lay it down on the altar and I die to myself and I take up my cross and I live for Christ. That's worship. And so worship is about my talent. Worship is about my time. Worship is about my resources. Worship is about what I do and how I do it. And so worship is not something that happens on Sundays. Sunday is a celebration of worship. Worship, like, worship is not a Sunday event. It's, it's, it's always happening. It's giving worth to something. And so when you look at your time in this last week, you have given worth to something. And you have to look at it and go, okay, if I give worth to this activity, how can I see that God is using it in the midst of my life? And how can I see that God is in the midst of that activity? And if he's not in that activity, it's probably an activity that needs to be called out of our schedule. And so we're looking for ways that we can worship God all the time. And if our hearts are not in our worship, then we're being ripped off by the enemy. And the only way to get your heart in worship is to give your life to Jesus. Like if you're here and, um, you know, a, a lot of times you ask people, say, well, what do you believe? Well, I, I'm Catholic. Well, I grew up in a Baptist church. <laughs> Frankly, I don't care. Like, I don't care if you're Catholic. I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care if you're Presbyterian. What I want to know is, do you know Jesus? Like, because if you ask me, you say, well, what do you believe? I'm not going to say, well, I'm part of a non-denominational church. I believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world, and he died for my sins, and I, he is the Lord of my life. That's what I believe. And, and it's not determined by where I go to church. or See, that, that is an indication, if we're not careful, that we're, we're, we're kind of thinking that where we go to church, and it, it becomes kind of a part of our religion, what we do. No, man, the only way to have authentic worship is to give your life to Jesus. And if you've never consciously said, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And you will know if you've given your life to Jesus because it is, it is when you take that desire that causes you to want to spend all of your life on yourself and you lay it on the altar spiritually and you, you, you take the spiritual knife and you slice the rights to your life away and you give them to Jesus. So you spill your spiritual blood for the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, I'm dying to myself so that Christ might live in me. And when that happens, then the Holy Spirit moves into our lives. And only then, like the Holy Spirit moving into your life is not a gradual thing that happens over a 10-year period. When you offer your life as a sacrifice on the altar to God, boom, the Spirit of God moves in and you are transformed into a new creation. You are indwelt with the Spirit of God and you now know him. And so as you know him, he put you in a position where your worship can be authentic and he wants to speak to you and he wants to live through you. And so God, like he, every day he wants to go 
on a journey with you, just like he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden every day he would come walk with them. The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus said, it is expedient that I go away with from you because when I go away, I will spend the comforter, the paracleti, he will come to you and I will be with you and I will send you into places and I will go with you. I will go to your place of employment. I will go to school with you. I will go to the little league games with you. I will do your hobbies with you. I will be in relationship with other people with you. I will be in you. That's the whole crux of the gospel. And when we get there, guess what we are doing? We are worshiping. And when we come here on Sunday, and we've been doing that throughout the week, we have not been robbed by the enemy. An expression of voice, uh, uh, an expression of our worship bursts voice forth from our, our, our lungs, and we worship God in spirit and truth as a result of what God has been doing in the midst of our lives as he's been living through us. And Abel, we see, if we look at these two situation, uh, situations, the difference between their, their offering is, is Abel offered something that was substitutionary. It was a substitutionary death. He offered the fat, and I think this is key, of the first fruits of his offering. And so the first time that he experienced the blessing of God, what did he do with it? He brought it to the Lord, believing that God was behind it all. I think it's significant that it said in and when some time had passed, Cain, it almost feels like the writer is writing it in such a way as that when Cain finally got around to it, after he had produced enough crops, he brought some in to the Lord when he got around to it. But Abel, as soon as it happened, brought it in to the Lord because he specifically tells us it was the first fruit, the fat of the first uh, thing that was born to the flocks. And Abel brings it. And so we see very clearly that Cain is doing a religious works thing and Abel is doing a thing that's filled with the spirit of God and his heart is fully devoted to God. And so you see the difference between religious works and outright selling out to the Lord Jesus Christ like I'm talking about is, is that, that your heart is totally captivated by God and, and you're not some religious wacko. You're just in love with God and he's walking with you. He's walking in you. And as you're walking through life and he's blessing you, you're bringing that back to God. And so your, your life becomes a blessing not only for yourself but for everyone around you because you're offering your worship to God. And so God looked favorably on Abel's offering and unfavorably on Cain's. And we learn and determine from that all worship is not equal. And, and not only that, and so we got to be careful and go, man, like, now just, like, is your worship authentic? Like, as I sit there and talk, as I stand here and describe that today, the Lord is trying to bring you on a journey. Like, like as a, the foolishness of preaching, as Brent prayed and I appreciate so much, is that you would hear from the voice of God, not from Jimmy Holbrook. This has nothing to do with me trying to persuade you into something. This has everything to do with me listening to the voice of God and saying, God, anoint my voice that the words that come out of my mouth would help your people live a free life. And so God is he's screaming at you today. Like he's saying, look, this is, this is the road to freedom. And so if you don't know and understand that road and you're not walking that out in your life, then you're being ripped off by the enemy because your worship is not authentic and he's trying to bring you to a place of authenticity where you can live the full life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10, and you're not being killed, like the, your spiritual life is not being killed and stolen and destroyed, but you're living this abundant place of freedom with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all worship is not equal. That's, that's the first thing we have to learn. And the, and, and the, the reason that is so important is because our worship impacts our favor with the Lord. 
Losing favor with the Lord is the ultimate ripoff. Like what is, and so what is God's favor? Like what is, what in the world does that mean, the favor of God? It means that God is in heaven and he looks down and Jesus, as he sits on his throne, as the king of our hearts, he looks down upon us and he either sees us favorably or unfavorably. And so how, like, what, 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 what exactly would that mean if God was looking at me um, in a favorable way? I think it means ultimate freedom. <laughs> Then I'm just walking through life, man. God, is, he's just moving in the midst of my life and I have this freedom because why? He's looking favorably at me and it's walking with him. This is what we see over and over and over in the Bible is that God is, he's trying to call us in, uh, to this place of obedience because he's telling this incredible story of redemption of mankind that he wants to walk with us. He wants to be in fellowship with us. And so God blesses authentic worship. And so that is the favor, is that God will bless that worship, but he does not bless inauthentic worship. And so when I don't experience God's favor, the same thing that happened to Cain will happen to me. And this is why Jude says, woe to those who have gone the way of Cain, is that I don't experience the favor of God. And so sin has given birth, it has run its course, it has come full grown, and it leads to death. And I start getting angry at God and people. So anything will set me off. I'm just angry about this. I'm angry about that. I have no joy in my life. And so the, 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 the favor of God is so important. The enemy's strategy is to entice us to be anger and let anger grow. This is why the book of, uh, of James says, um, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath because anger is a place that the enemy will operate in and he will get us angry and just let it just run its course and we will just keep getting harder and harder in our hearts toward God. And so when we look at what all this means about this favor, since I am an image bearer of God, like remember Genesis teaches us he created human beings in his image. And so since I am an image bearer of God, I love this, I am designed to have the favor of God. And so I'm gonna give you the best illustration that I can that is very weak because obviously I'm a human being. But, but being like, I like to create things. I like to fix things. I'm a project guy. And I like to like go out and see something that's broken and possibly improve it or tear it down and rebuild it. And, and so I kind of have a design in mind and I know how it should look. And as the creator of that design, if I do not do it the way that it should be done, every time I walk by it, I go, mm, I need to fix that. I knew I did that wrong. I need to go back and tear that board out and redo that thing. And so I'm looking at the design unfavorably. It's not that I don't like the design. It's not that I don't like the work that I've done. It's just that there's a problem with it because of the way that it is functioning is not the way that it should be functioning. I think that's the best illustration I can come up with for how God looks at us favorably and unfavorably. He has designed us to walk in his favor. And when we're walking out of sight of his favor, he's looking at it and going, what are you doing? That's not the way I designed you to walk. I, I, I designed you to walk in freedom and in my favor and you're trying to live your life out outside of my favor, what I can, I can bless and still maintain my holiness. And so he, he, as he looks upon us, he cannot look upon us favorably and continue to pour out more favor. So our freedom is stopped and the bondage begins because
because we are letting our evil desire be enticed by something the devil is holding out before our physical eyes. We're not walking by faith. Uh, we're walking by sight. And so he is pulling us away. He's enticing us. And in the end, we end up getting angry at God and angry at people. And we can't get along in relationships. And it causes death and separation in, in multiple directions in our lives. Instead of being able to walk through life and just go, man, like, if, if I could just walk in this place of freedom and you could walk in this place of freedom, guess what would happen to our relationship? Intimacy. But when one of us starts to walk in bondage, then the first thing that begins to happen is separation. And in time, if we can't figure out how to navigate through that, it will give birth and there will be death to the relationship. And so we, we look at this and, 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 and we see that losing favor with the Lord is the ultimate ripoff because this is the way God has designed us is to walk in his favor. So what I want you to hear from this, this part of the message is that as you walk out of here today, it's that God wants to pour out his blessing on your life. He wants to look upon you favorably, but he's given you a choice called free will. And if you don't take that free will and surrender to him, it is impossible for him to look upon you favorably. Because if he does, then he is compromising his holiness. And so it's important, you can be, a, you can be a, a Christian and have experienced salvation and live in a place of defeat. And God cannot honor and bless your life until you learn to surrender to him and do what he's asking you to do in, in obedience. And so if, if our worship is not authentic, we're being ripped off. Losing favor with the Lord is the ultimate rip off. Rip off. And the last one is you cannot hide a rip off. You, you just can't hide it. Cain was angry and, it, and the Bible says his face was downcast. And when this happens in your life, you cannot hide the anger that is eating your spiritual lunch. Like you just walk around, man, and people can tell that there's something not right on the inside. But here's the good news, is that, that when you are walking in, in, in favor with the Lord, you cannot hide your joy. Like it just comes out. You just know, like you know when you're in the presence of a believer who is walking in freedom. It cannot be hidden. And you know when you're in the presence of a person who is walking in defeat and bondage because it cannot be hidden. And so we look at this and we say we, you cannot hide a, a, a ripoff. And so the good news is that we, we can't hide the joy either. And I believe that this is what drove Cain to kill his brother. Like Abel was just like having life. Like he would see Cain. He didn't realize that Cain was in such a place of defeat maybe. And, and he's just enjoying all of the experience that God has designed him to be as he's out there farming his animals. And, and Cain is just ticked off because his attitude is not in the right place. His heart is not in the right place. Sin was crouching at the door and it, he was not mastering it. It was mastering him. And so every time he saw Abel, it was just a reminder of how much defeat he had in his life. And he, learned, he came to a point where he not only resented what God was asking him to do. He resented how Abel was living. And finally he said, I will just destroy him and get him out of my sight. And he killed his brother. And, and so we see that instead of repenting, his anger gave full birth to sin. First uh, John chapter three, verse 12. Look at what we find. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
So we see the resentment right there. And so God did, told him, sin is crouching at the door, master it, Cain. And so we just think in terms of sin is crouching at the door. And that's just, it's, it's wanting to surprise us. It's wanting to come out of nowhere and jump and pounce on us. And so we have to be ready at all instances to be able to master the sin that tries to pounce on us around every corner. So how do we master it? Well, we once again go back to the book of James in James chapter 4, verse 7. He tells us, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. The key to mastering sin is resisting the devil and drawing near to God. The, 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 the key is not trying to have more willpower. The key is just resisting and going to the Lord. And so we, we see here is that sadly, many people do the opposite. They resist the Lord and draw near to the enemy and stay in a place of bondage. The big idea is the devil can't sell me anything I don't want to buy. The devil can't make you do anything. Like if you're getting ripped off, it's not God's fault, and it's not because of the power of the enemy. It's because your desire has catered to yourself, and you've said, I want that. I'm going to buy it. And, and it. and it's causing separation in your life. The good news is that when I resist the devil, he must flee. Why? Because the devil cannot operate in the presence of God. And so as I draw near to God, now let me give you this, this picture. And maybe we can do it as we head toward communion this morning. So on a daily basis, I meet with the Lord. And I have this spot where I, I go down in the basement. And I have specific habits that I do. My family probably doesn't even know it. It's a little bit loud down there. And so I will turn on the fan from automatic to on all the time, just so I have more privacy and I'm not distracted. And I go down in there and I have a whiteboard and I have things that I'm talking to the Lord uh, about. I have all of your names up there that I pray over you on a weekly basis. And I just start, like I take the word and I read some of it. And I, before I open it, I say, Lord, speak to me so that I can hear from you today. Take your word. I don't want to just read it. I want to hear something from you that I need to hear for me. And as I do that, I, I come out of that place, and, and then I just, I, I just begin to walk around and talk to the Lord. And I talk, and I, I, I talk out loud like this, and I pray. And I'm drawing near to God in my abide time. And what God does is he draws near to me. There is a sacred place in my home and is a place where I meet with the Lord and abide on a daily basis because Jesus has taught me what he taught his disciples in John chapter 15. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. But when you abide, you will bear fruit. If you are not abiding with the Lord, then you are not bearing the fruit that you were designed to bear. You can't do it. The only way to produce fruit, you can work for Jesus. You can work yourself to death. You can become a workaholic for Jesus and not have any fruit. I'm talking about fruit. I'm talking about somebody looks at your life and goes, man, I, that looks like a piece of fruit I would like to pick right there and have for myself. 
And so like when we abide, the Lord comes into that place and he draws near to us and the enemy cannot tempt us and, and lead us and entice us by the weakness of our flesh because our spirit has become so strong as we have learned the rhythm of abiding with the Lord. And that is the key to living a victorious life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.